0: chaos it's a word that seems to capture the zeitgeist of our age instability wars pandemics and institutional breakdown these have all led people to wonder is anyone in control is there meaning and purpose to any of this with endless choices and uncertain times people today are less secure and more jaded than ever before Doubts about everything are the new normal. We are living through an era that feels a bit mad. So, how do we live by faith in a world of madness? This is what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. It assumes doubts and offers answers not addressed anywhere else. It explores issues that haunt us at the end of life. In short, this ancient book offers meaning in the madness by directing us to the purpose giver, God Himself world's answers are incoherent and incomplete. Through Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit shows us that order is possible in turmoil. Meaning is birthed despite the chaos, and true beauty is revealed at the feet of our Creator King. Here we can truly discover meaning in the madness.
1: All right, well, welcome back for week two of our series, Meaning in the Madness. Uh, We are spending the next few months exploring the deep and rich themes found in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you were with us last week, we looked at the opening section of the book and the concept of Hevel. That was the main thing that we looked at last week, which, which means life is mere breath. And we asked, what are we doing with the breath God has given to us? Now, that question often leads us down a pathway of chasing meaning in our life. And so today, King Solomon is going to share a reflective autobiography of his chase to find meaning in this meaningless world. <clears throat> and since autobiographies are relevant, I would like to start this morning, not with a king, but with a prince, Prince Harry of the royal family, uh, <laughs> This week, he just released a pretty controversial autobiography of his life in the royal family. And while I've not read the book, I've looked at some interviews, I've listened to uh, some commentaries, read some reviews, and uh, i got to say, it sounds like there's some odd, scandalous, and inappropriate sections of the book, but there's also, judging by those chuckles, you've probably heard about them too, Uh, (laughs) there's also some interesting themes, though, of, of Harry's life. So first... Uh, Harry was a pretty wounded individual, right? He lost his mother, Princess Diana, when he was young. Um, His family also jokingly referred to him as the spare, which is the title of the book, not the heir to the throne. Second, these wounds have led Harry on a journey, a quest to find his place in this world. So whether he was serving in the British military, whether he was working as a member of the royal family or embracing some newfound activism, he still seems to be on a journey to discover meaning. In life, <clears throat> Now, to be clear, Harry was born into royalty. He's got all the money in the world that you could want, yet he still struggles with his identity and purpose. And if you listen to him talk, he just doesn't seem very happy. Right? I mean, what, what did you hear? If you listen to these interviews, what did you hear? He heard, you heard that his house wasn't big enough. His, his role in the family wasn't respected enough. And what does he do? He decides he's going to go and sign a deal with a publishing company and Netflix to write a book and film a documentary that basically trashes his family and is going to garner him millions of dollars. Does he think that's going to make him happy? He seems to be chasing something. And the reality is that we all are. No matter how you've walked in here today or wherever you're listening to this, we all are looking for something more. But here's the problem. Too often, we are not on a meaning quest. Most of us are on a happiness quest because I think there's a little bit of Prince Harry in all of us. And here's the rub. Unless we're grounded in our meaning and purpose, we're never going to be happy King Solomon knew this really well. Instead of seeking meaning for a time, he pursued happiness through pleasure. What does he write in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 to 11? He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. There's that meaningless coming back up again. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So King Solomon cuts right to the heart of Prince Harry's problem. He says, I denied myself nothing. I refused my heart, no pleasure. In other words, what I, whatever I wanted, I took. How does he describe that? He describes that as a chasing after the wind, a beautiful chase, right? But still chasing after the wind. And when you chase the wind, even if you catch it, what's there? Nothing. It's gone. It's like you can't, you can't grasp it, right? Right? And then you're not happy, you're actually, you're actually more depressed. And you say, it's meaningless, it's heavy. That's life. Are you chasing the wind today? Why is happiness the ultimate goal in so many people's lives? And in reality, when I talk about happiness, what is happiness? Well, others will, will very flippantly say, we, we, we will say to others very flippantly, we just want you to be happy I even heard somebody say the British people, the, the, the royal family, they just wanted Harry to be happy. And when we say that, here, here's what I think we mean. I think we mean we, just, we don't want to suffer. We don't want others to suffer. Happiness in our context often means a comfortable life. Happiness often means a comfortable life. We don't want to do hard things. We all want that happily ever after. It's, it's in the marrow of our society. But when I listen to people reflect on their lives, it's always, it's always, always, always the hard times, the adversities that make us who we are. It was our challenges that helped us discover the purpose God has for us. For example, uh, maybe you're somebody who had a parent die when you were young. But that's where you, it was hard, but that's where you weathered adversity and learned to trust God. Now, you can empathize with others, and you might be a great parent because you know life is short and so it brings you joy, it brings you happiness to invest in others. Or maybe you're somebody who's walked through a difficult season in, in their marriage, but, but, but maybe God brought you through it and it taught, and taught you what it means to live sacrificially. And now you cherish your family and find joy in loving them. Now there's a lot more examples that obviously I could give, but you, you, you get the point. When people ask you what, what made you who you are, it often goes back to the challenge that God brought you through. Because nobody ever says that his or her character was significantly impacted by that vacation you took to the Caribbean. The quest for meaning, that's the beautiful chase that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. And he says our happiness quest, that's not the right chase. And yet, we're, we're all, we all seem to be primarily seeking happiness in this life. The quest for meaning and happiness, they're at odds, but they're also intrinsically linked and so what I want to show you this morning is that you will never truly be happy, you'll never truly find joy unless you discover your meaning and purpose. And our meaning and purpose are, in, are, in, are intrinsically linked to our creator. Author Os Guinness puts it this way in his book, The Great Quest. He says, the truth is that we humans cannot live without meaning any more than we can live without breathing, eating and drinking, The will to live and the will to meaning are one, and both are essential to our humanness. We all need to make sense of life. We need to find security in the world. That's what gives us a storyline in our lives. Sense, security, storyline. Without these, he says, meaninglessness becomes a serious problem and suicide a serious possibility. Now, I wonder if, if that is the crux of Prince Harry's autobiography, that he's just trying to make sense of life, he wants to feel secure and loved, and that drives his storyline. It drives our storyline. So as we look at our text today, I would just ask you, what are you chasing and how is it driving your storyline? If you were to write an autobiography of your life, what would it say? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 the chapter 2, verse 26, outlines this happiness quest we're all on. And it reveals three places that we seek meaning and purpose in life. First, we mine our education. Second, we indulge in entertainment. And then finally, we just engage in endeavors. And each place ultimately shows us that the beautiful chase we're on, it's taking us somewhere, a quest to find meaning and purpose. So let's pray as we look at those today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. I thank you for every person who's here today. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would just teach us what it means to find meaning and purpose in you, first and foremost. Help us to leave today changed and transformed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the places we seek happiness often, I think, short-circuit our quest for meaning, And so let's start with education. Uh, We live in a part of the country, in a state, that values very heavily education. And at some level, I I would say maybe we overvalue traditional education. When I first moved to Basking Ridge, I worked with the youth group. And uh, I still remember having a conversation when I first got here with a parent about the uh, the tiered college system. Uh, Maybe you know what this is, right? (laughs) It goes like this. If your child doesn't go to the best school, that top-tier school... You have a feeling of failure as a parent. And when I heard that, to which I replied, I said, well, why do you think that, right? Where is that message coming from? And I'm certainly not saying that education is unimportant. What I, what I want to recognize is that one of the stops on this chase for meaning is education. And education in and of itself cannot solve our problems. So look at what King Solomon has to say about education. Verse 13, he says, I applied my mind to To what? To study and to explore by wisdom all that's done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Now now notice, uh, this section of the book is moving from poetry, which was the first 11 verses, to this reflective prose. And so again, we should read this section of Ecclesiastes as a reflective autobiography of Solomon. And where does he start his quest for meaning? He starts it with study with wisdom, and and not just any study, but he examines everything. Solomon understood the words of the ancient philosopher Socrates, who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, what does he mean by that second phrase? What is this heavy burden? Well, I think he's challenging the belief that knowledge can provide permanent significance in life. Uh, this pursuit of wisdom through study, it's hard, yes. But second, it seems to like a hopeless task because he can't seem to find all the answers. Look at verse 14. What does he conclude? He said, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are what? They're, they're meaningless. They're a chasing after the wind. Now, who showed up in verse 13? God. Even though he mentions God in this verse the first time he does in the book, God is now, just take notice of this, God is going to disappear for much of the rest of our passage, which is significant. Because many of us know this routine. In our youth, uh, maybe we go to church, we go to youth group, we learn Bible stories, uh, but then at some level as we grow up, we start to think it's beneath us. We think our parents didn't tell us everything about life, and so we try to find meaning out there. We go and we experience life. We read other philosophers. And what do we find? I think we find what Solomon finds in verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. This is a proverb. And it's such an interesting metaphor. He depicts the world around him, what he finds as crooked. Something in this world is not right. But more than that, he says it can't be straightened out. Have you discovered that truth? Right? The world is crooked and it's really hard to un- make it uncrooked. This realization kickstarts Solomon's quest for meaning. And, and to show you how this plays out, what I'd like to do is I'd like to use the analogy of a university education. Because in this verse, I would just say Solomon is getting his bachelor's degree. At this level of education, we see that the world is broken. We live in a broken world, and that reality hits a lot of people when you go away to undergraduate education, because maybe you read a book or a certain philosopher, you you do a service project, you go on a mission trip uh, for the first time, you encounter a friend who has a really bad home life. In fact, I remember when I went to college, I met a lot of people from inner city Philadelphia, and I heard stories about challenging home lives and dangerous neighborhoods, and I thought, this world is broken, right? But if you try to do something about it, I realize it's so crooked, it just can't be straightened out. That's what Solomon is saying. I was paying all this money to read books in school to discuss theory, and yet in real life, all I saw was this brokenness. I resonated with Solomon. Verse 16, he says, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, then... I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. Again, there it is. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. What is it like to chase after the wind? You can pursue it as hard as you can. You chase after it, you chase after it, but then when you grasp it, it's gone. It leaves Solomon unsatisfied, More than that, we read this in verse 18. He says, for with much wisdom, another proverb, comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. In other words, when you know too much, it can bring you to tears. When you see the pain in this world and the seeming meaninglessness of it, you just, you cry. Have you ever cried over the brokenness in the world? Wars and diseases and starvation and corruption and severed family relationships, they're all part of this broken world. And they take us to the next level of education, the master's degree. So the bachelor's degree showed Solomon the world is broken. The master's degree breaks his heart. This meaning of of life education, or should I say this reality of life education, is what he gets. And what he learns in verse 18, it just, it just moves him to tears. He's, just, he's broken. And now he wants to take action. And that's that next level of education. Now, usually, people pursue a master's degree because they want a specific skill set that will qualify them for a specific job. And we hope that job is gonna allow us to contribute to human flourishing in the world. But what does Solomon say? Again, he says, it's meaningless, like chasing the wind. So let's skip ahead to chapter 2. After discussing his pursuit of pleasure, now in verse 12 to 17 of chapter 2, Solomon turns back to wisdom, and and what does he find here? He says again, he says, then I said to myself, he's doing a lot of talking to himself in this section, he says, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. Meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So in this next level of education, Solomon meets two characters. He meets the wise person and the fool. And Solomon has been trying to find happiness through education, through study, through the acquisition of wisdom. Being wise is the ultimate goal, right? That's going to fulfill us. More education, right? But what does he discover? He says, whether you are wise or whether you are a fool, you will suffer the same fate. We all die and nobody remembers us. It's what? It's hevel. It's hevel. It's mere breath. Now, I've been meditating upon that image uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I, I really am trying to get its significance, in fact, this past week, Dave and I, we, we had coffee with the rabbis across the street at the Chabad, uh, Rabbi Mendy and Rabbi Mendel down here at Starbucks, and uh, I called them up. I said, I want to know about the Jewish view of Hebel, and they were super excited to talk about Hebrew. <laughs> it was a meaningful discussion. The Jewish view is really close to the Christian view, and, and what, I, what I took away from that, it, it is such a crucial concept to get. Life is short. Discover the beauties God gives you, but it causes attention because what does Solomon learn? He learns essentially that sometimes bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And that gets us really upset. Right? Somebody out there, you might be saying right now, yes, I'm experiencing that right now. It's not fair. And that takes us to that final level of education, the doctorate. right, The PhD level of education. What does Solomon learn? He learns there's a broken system. Now, if you have a PhD, what is the hallmark of that degree, right? Original research, right? You read and you write, you read and you write, you read and you write, you read and you write. No stone is left unturned in your quest to find that original idea, in your quest to become an expert in your certain field. You discover new ways that life system is broken and the depths of human depravity. Now, I want you to notice something about this educational pathway. At each level, at the bachelor's, at the master's, at the doctorate, yes, we acquire more knowledge in life, but we also get some letters next to our name. And we think those letters provide us with significance, meaning, maybe even happiness. But at the end of the day, how much does it matter? We all die. And some of us die in debt because we took out a ton of student loans to get that degree. How many student loans did you take out to try and find the meaning of life? Here's a sobering thought. If you want to find true meaning, you could spend $20 on a good study Bible and study it deeply. You could memorize it. You could encounter the God of the Bible, the one Solomon mentions, but then forgot in verse 13. He's the one who offers true meaning and purpose. How many of us are pursuing things in life that just leave us empty? Now, now, again, don't get me wrong. I, I think education, again, is a good thing. I, I got some letters next to my name, too. But what I'm telling you is that not, it's not everything. Education cannot save us, and it cannot solve all of our problems. That's what Solomon's learning here. It's hevel. Education cannot save us. Only Jesus can. And I might even get some amens to that statement. But if we take an inventory of our lives, where we spend our money, In our time, I wonder if we really believe it. Because what do our actions say? I mean, the amount of money we spent on education, college educations. A hundred years ago, people would have said, that's madness. How many people get degrees that don't provide jobs and they get into debt, they can't pay back? Why do we do this? I think at least partly it's because there's a promise of happiness, If you go to that university, you'll have a great experience. That school will provide you what you need in life. You want to be happy, right? But it can't provide. Can it provide meaning and purpose? And so parents, maybe we should teach our kids that, while education is a good thing. It's not an ultimate thing. It cannot save us. It cannot save our friends and family. Only Jesus can. And at the end of the day, did you actually learn something in college? Or did you just have a good time? And that actually gets us to the second place we run for meaning, and that's entertainment. Entertainment. 21st century Americans, we love to be entertained, right? We love a good show, a good experience, a good laugh. If knowledge and education won't give us meaning, we might as well have fun doing it, right? YOLO! (laughs) That seems to be the cry of a generation. You only live once. Isn't that what Solomon's saying here? So live it up. We're here under the sun, as Solomon puts it. And if God doesn't care, if God's not here, why not pursue pleasure to give us meaning? Well, Solomon tells us this is also an empty pursuit. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Again, I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. What an interesting phrase, test you with pleasure, to find out what's good. But that also proved to be what? To be meaningless. He's continuing on this happiness quest, and if education won't do it, we might as well feel good. But it's also Hevel. It's Hevel. So let's examine entertainment. Whether or not you're a Christian, I would invite you to consider why you pursue the entertainment you do. Because entertainment, whatever it is, is often an escape from what we can't control. And as we've learned in Ecclesiastes, there's really not a whole lot we can control in this life. Solomon shows us Four idols that undergird our pursuit of entertainment. And through, as we look through this, I want you to look at each idol and ask yourself, where do I go to find escape? So the first one is comedy. Comedy. He says, laughter is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? Laughter. Comedy. Who doesn't like to laugh, right? <laughs> and listen, there's a reason there's a saying out there that laughter is the best medicine, because when things go bad, it just feels good just to laugh about it. Uh, I've been around people or watched a good movie that just made me bust a gut. It's great. It can bring happiness, and in general, I think we need to laugh more often, but take notice of what you laugh at, because there's two different kinds of laughter. There's a joyful laughter, and we should want that kind of laughter, laughter that fosters connection, that's not at somebody else's expense. We can laugh at things in life that are, that are just funny and observations that point to the truth. But there's a second kind of laughter, and that's cynical laughter. And that laughter comes from pain and causes pain at the expense of others. So types of sarcasm can fall into this category. It's an escape. It's a way of avoiding the pain and reality of life. This type of laughter does not bring people together. It actually pushes people apart. And what we laugh at reveals what's in our hearts. Laughter can also become an idol that we use to escape the realities of life. So when I was in high school, I had a teacher who once told me that she watched the classic comedy Seinfeld every day before she came to work. And you know what her reason was? She said, it makes me feel good that my life is not as bad as those people. (laughs) That comedy makes us chuckle, but again, it can leave us empty. Empty. Secondly, there's alcohol. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Now again, another place people run to for escape is alcohol. And I don't have time to get into the debates about alcohol. I would just say that I think we can all agree that too much alcohol is, is not a good thing. Too often, taking a drink sometimes even occasionally, can be used as a way to medicate pain. We think a little liquid courage, that'll cheer us up. Alcohol makes us happier. Or does it? It often masks the pain underneath, pain from a a lack of meaning. Alcohol can make us feel good for a moment, but too much of it will leave you with a massive headache, an empty soul, and broken relationships. Now, a third place we run to for escape is money. Solomon writes this in verse 8. He says, I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. The money can buy us happiness, right? I mean, he he who has the most toys wins, right? More possessions, they'll make you feel fulfilled. Is that true? Well, if it's true, why are there so many people with big houses that are, are, how how many big houses are there filled with sad people? As we learned at the beginning, Prince Harry, he's got a lot of money, and he's still on this quest for happiness. In fact, as I mentioned, he seems to be on a quest to bring his family down and get paid a lot of money in the process. It's only going to leave a trail of further relational destruction. But he's going to have a lot of money in a big house in California, so why not? The truth is, money is just a window into our souls, into what we really value, So we can give it away generously, or we could spend it on selfish pleasure. How we spend our money reveals our view of meaning and purpose and happiness. And if we don't have a defined sense of meaning and purpose, money is just another form of medication like laughter and alcohol. Now the final idol of meaning... In, a, in entertainment that Solomon mentions is sex. And he mentions this at the end of verse 8. He says, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of man's heart. So that word harem indicates that Solomon could have had any woman he wanted. And still he's going to tell us later it's meaningless, it's, it's hevel. Now our modern world provides a, a, a lot of access to a host of sexual pleasures through the internet. People try to find virtual companions. And it's all because we're trying to medicate, again, this need for happiness and meaning. Because the pursuit of happiness and meaning in something like sex is really about a desire for intimacy. It's a desire to be known. And the insidious truth about pursuits like like pornography is this. They promise happiness, but they leave us with shame and emptiness. And worse, if you're addicted... There's this endless desire for more. You're trapped in this meaninglessness. In fact, I've read articles recently showing that young men in particular who are addicted to things like pornography have trouble once they actually have a real-life partner. It does not lead to happiness, only pain and shame. That momentary pleasure, it's hell. Solomon says, I've tried it. It's not worth it. And then he concludes the section with these words. He says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all, my wis- in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was what? It was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In his pursuit of entertainment, what does Solomon say? He says, "I'd engage in all these forms of entertainment and, and, and what? Then I, then I survey look at that word "surveyed," everything I did. It's the Hebrew word, "panava." And that means to come face to face with something." In other words, when he was confronted with everything he was doing in his life to find meaning, it meant nothing. He was empty. Now, this is another interesting word picture, and so I'd like to try something with you. I'd like to ask you right now uh, to raise your right hand over your head, okay? Everybody raise your right hand over your head. That's right. I see those hands. That was a, a ploy. See those hands. Good. Now, I want you to hold it there. Hold your hand right there. Just keep holding it. In just a moment, but not yet, I want you to quickly move your hand in front of your face like this. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Just a minute. Keep holding your hands up. Now together, let's say that word panava. Ready? One, two, three. Panava. Now, move your hand in front of your face right now. Now hold it there. As you hold your hand there right in front of your face, think about that confrontation. Think about those four idols I just mentioned. Comedy, alcohol, money, sex. Are you coming face-to-face with any of those idols today? Are you chasing any of those idols looking for meaning, meaning, And happiness, what is in your heart? And I'll let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. You can put your hands down. (laughs) Now, here's the truth. Uh, A life spent on selfish pleasure and entertainment leads to emptiness. Selfish pleasure is like that phenomenon of, the current phenomenon of endless scrolling through social media, Because you might be in bed, desiring rest, but you, you can't stop scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, whatever. And maybe you read an interesting note, you laugh at a few pictures, but at the end of the day, you're you're empty. You're not realizing how many hours you're wasting on your life. It's meaningless. Social critic Neil Postman was right even back in the 1980s. He said we're amusing ourselves to death with entertainment. Stop that endless scrolling. Entertainment can augment a life of deep meaning, but if you're living to please your, but are you living to please yourself or God? YOLO, you only live once. What will you do with that breath? So we're all on a happiness quest, but happiness cannot be found apart from meaning in life. So we looked at education, we looked at entertainment, and when those fail, and they will, where do we turn? Finally, we turn to our endeavors to our endeavors, because all of us have a desire to make a difference in the world, which is a good thing. We want to engage in meaningful work that leads to human flourishing. Now, when I use the word endeavors, that includes our work, yes, but it's more. It could also be acts of service or raising a family or causes that we support. We want to contribute. And so Solomon voices it this way. Uh, Back in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves that were born into my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So what were his endeavors, right? He, he, he constructed buildings. He planted gardens. He created parks. And his projects were the envy of the world, He acquires wealth so he can build more. His actions point to something in our lives. We all want to build something. We want to build something. Now, maybe we're not builders like Solomon, but we often find our, our meaning and our identity in our work, in our accomplishments, in our careers, our projects, our activism, our cooking, our YouTube videos you make, whatever it is. We reveal the image of a creator God because we create And sometimes that work, it's painful. It causes anxiety. Look at what Solomon says. Verse 22, he says, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaninglessness. Have you ever had trouble sleeping because of your work? (laughs) That's what Solomon's getting at here. And then he states the nail in the coffin. When we try to find meaning in our work and accomplishments, it goes to somebody else anyway. Verse 18, he says, I hated all these things I had toiled for under the sun. Because, because why? Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish? Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Man, that's a sobering thought. (laughs) Consider your life's work for just a moment. Maybe you've built a business, a ministry, raised a family. How much is in your retirement account and investments right now? See, when we build things... We want credit for them. We want the reward. And what Solomon's saying is this, you can't take it with you. Whatever you build here under the sun, you're going to leave it here under the sun. When we seek to find meaning and happiness in our endeavors, in our accomplishments, we tend to ignore reality. You can't take it with you. So what do you do? So we're all, ch- we're all chasing this meaning and hope that br- we think is going to bring happiness. And what we've seen is you can't, if you can't find it in education or entertainment or endeavors, you're asking yourself right now, all right, well, where do I turn? Well, I'm glad you asked because this whole section was leading up to verse 24 where Solomon sums it up. And this is what he says. He says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? But what is he saying? He reveals the beautiful chase that should mark our lives. Education's not bad. Entertainment, not necessarily bad. Work, that's not bad. That actually should be a good thing. In fact, God has given each of these things to us as a gift, he says. It is what you do when you're chasing those things that matters. Now notice who's returned right now. God. In verse 113, God was there. Chapter two, verse 25, God returns. Who was absent during most of this sermon? God. Solomon has been teaching us that without God, there can be no meaning. Bottom line, there is no true enjoyment Something will always be nagging at your soul. Without him, who can find enjoyment? That's his question. No one. So the solution to our happiness quest, he says, is to embrace a God-focused life. Those who do this are wise. Those who ignore this, they're fools. So let me ask you today, are you enjoying life? (laughs) And if your answer is no, perhaps it's because you're trying to find meaning and Happiness apart from God. And listen, even Christians do this. We let the world's messages about education and entertainment and our endeavors, we let them capture our hearts. And we think if we don't have this degree or if we miss the opening of that movie or if I've not accomplished this much by the time I'm 65, it's meaningless. We spend our lives working really hard for the next season of life and then a week before you're about to retire, you get diagnosed with cancer. What was it all for if you can't enjoy it? See, Solomon says the most important thing we can do is live a God focused life every day. We can do nothing apart from Him. And without Him, there's no real enjoyment in life. So, how do we find joy? Well, the answers, I think, are found in Jesus' own words, and I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6. And so this week, I would encourage you to go home, yes, read Ecclesiastes, but also just just read and meditate upon just Matthew chapter 6. Memorize parts of it, because Jesus tells us at least three things about discovering happiness and meaning in life. And the first thing Jesus teaches us is this. We have to embrace daily gifts from God. And I know for me, just transparently I often miss this because every day God offers evidences of his grace in my life and I'm the type of person I'm often looking past today to what I'm doing in three months and I'm probably not the only person we but we're not even guaranteed today he says and the reason many of us are not happy we don't have joy the reason we miss our meaning is because we're not present right now we're thinking about what's to come next even though it's not guaranteed We miss so much when we're not present right here and now. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to pray. Matt did this at the beginning. He he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. We should pray the Lord's Prayer every day. How does Jesus say we should pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is is in heaven. And then what? He says, give us today our daily bread, our daily bread bread. God gives us the gifts of food to sustain us, relationships to grow us, and work to challenge us. He says, embrace those gifts. And when we embrace these gifts, our eyes start to shift outward. You know, in Luke's gospel, he also includes the Lord's Prayer. And Luke repeats this in chapter 11, verse 12, where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth As it is in heaven. And so the prayer is, Lord, as I embrace your gifts, may your kingdom come to earth through me. Now, before we leave this point, I want to offer you a tangible action item. Because we all know people who are not Christians or they're skeptical, but they're on a meaning quest, just like us. And for a few months, we've been talking about the launch of our our alpha groups. And it's coming up in three weeks. I want somebody out there to say three weeks. Yes, three weeks, amen, right. We're having our launch party Sunday night, uh, and the the ushers are going to pass out some cards to you right now. We're having our launch party in in, uh, three weeks, Sunday night, February 5th, 6 p.m. down in the Fellowship Hall. And if you have questions and you want to sign up, we have a table out in the lobby. Uh, I would love for you to consider signing up and joining us and bringing a friend. Now, right now, they're handing out these cards. You're going to receive two different cards, Today we're starting a 21-day prayer campaign for the groups. The first card you're going to get outlines the call. And when you get that card, look at the side that says the call. What we're simply asking you to do is take three steps in the next 21 days. Three steps. First, write down the names of three people you know who might like to explore the Christian faith. Right? There's, There's a part to do that on the second card. Second, set an alarm on your phone every day for 1102 uh, 11.02 every single day, just like Luke 11, uh, 11:2, May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he tells us to pray. And every time that alarm goes off, stop and pray for those people on your card and pray for your, your town you live in. So pray. And then finally, be expectant. Because sometimes we pray and we don't think anything will happen. But what if it does be expect and pray that God will bring people into your life to share Jesus with because God is that powerful. So take a look at those cards, prayerfully do that over the next 21 days. Now the second thing Jesus tells us about finding true joy is that we have to cultivate trust in God. And I got to tell you, and this is true in my life at times, that the reason many of us are not happy, we don't find joy, and we don't find meaning is because we don't Trust God. That's our problem. It masks everything else. Oh, you may say that you trust God, but when the rubber meets the road and you're in a situation when you really need Him, when there's a financial issue, a family issue, a health crisis, we start doing things under our own strength. But if you want to find joy and peace that passes all understanding, He says just cultivate a deep trust in God. How many of you out there are worriers? Yeah, I am too. Why do you worry? Because we don't believe God will come through. In those moments, Jesus' words from Matthew 6.25 should come to mind. What does Jesus say? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? And he uses an analogy. He says, see how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, right, the guy who wrote Ecclesiastes, not even Solomon, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Friends, cultivate a trust in God. And then finally, prioritize your pursuits. Because our quest for meaning and happiness is empty because our pursuits are disordered. Our loves are disordered. And we saw this in Solomon's autobiography. He mentions God at the beginning, but then he goes on to bigger and better things. He wants the degree. He's ready to party. Uh, he wants to go and build his empire. And in the midst of those, in those uh, pursuits, who's got time for church? But then don't be surprised when you're unhappy and when you can't find the meaning of life. Because we're looking in the the wrong place and we're trying to do it in our own time. What does Jesus tell us? In one of his most famous sayings, Matthew chapter 6, you've probably heard it, you probably memorized it. What does he say? He says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Did you hear that? Seek first what? His kingdom. His righteousness. And then what's going to happen? All these things will be given to you. Which means what? If you're not seeking his kingdom, if if pursuing Jesus is lower on your priority list, what's going to happen? You might not get them. You'll feel purposeless because you don't know the one who gives purpose. Purpose. Your life will feel empty because what? Because you're disconnected from the power source. You will not be truly happy, even though you're looking for it, because you haven't spent time with the joy giver. Don't you see, friends? You may be on a happiness quest, but you can't find happiness if you don't have that meaning and purpose. And there's only one person who can give it to you, and his name is Jesus Christ. Education, entertainment, and endeavor, when done apart from God... They will not fill our hearts, but when we embrace them as gifts from God, it makes all the difference. And so as the worship team comes back on stage today, and we're going to close, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that Ecclesiastes, it shows us our need for a savior. Solomon, he's trying to teach us about what he's learned in life, and he tells us that at the end, it's hevel to pursue a life apart from God. And Christians, we have to take that a step further. The only way to live life and live it to the full is to look to the better Solomon. Because Solomon may have been the wisest person in the world, but he was not the end. And you know, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, what did Jesus tell them? He told them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, something greater than Solomon is here. And so ask yourself, are you looking to the one who's the greater than Solomon Or are you trying to live like Solomon? Because in Jesus is true wisdom. In Jesus is full enjoyment of life. In Jesus is the most meaningful work you will ever experience. He offers life and life to the full. So as the worship team starts to play here, let me just close with a really famous poem that I think brings it all home. And so I just invite you to close your eyes and and listen to this right now. It's called, a poem called Only One Life by C.T. Studd. And he says this. He says, Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, T'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen.